Thank you for tuning in to the New Birth Podcast. There's a word of hope for you today, and we are excited for what God is doing here at New Birth. For more information, visit our website, nvplaceofhope.com. Now for the message by our senior pastor, Gabby Mejia. Just yesterday, I was watching TV in my living room, and my wife was watching a love story in her room, and she kept telling me to come to the room to see the love story. But I don't like love stories. Because <laughs> they, they, they're pretty much predictable, right? They hook up, they break up, they come back together. They have, you know, it, it, it's one of those stories. And, 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 and as I was sitting there towards the last 10 minutes of the movie, uh, uh, I realized, I realized how sometimes when it comes to the greatest love story ever, people tend to react the way I react to that love story I saw last night. Oh, you know, it's, it's, I know it's going to happen. It's, they start together. You know, there's, there's always a tension in the movie. Then you have suspense in the movie. Then, you know, this character comes out that you don't expect to mess up the movie. Then someone saves it, and then they kiss, and they live happily ever after. But when we talk about the greatest love story, there's no story like the one I'm going to share with you today. There's no story like it. It's nothing compares to this story. The best story ever, greater than the ones in Hollywood, soap operas, concertos. This is the greatest love story ever, and it's found in the Bible. And what's crazy is that the protagonist of this greatest story, of this great love story, is God, the creator of the universe. He is the protagonist. He is the main character. And of all of the people, God, can you imagine that God said, I'm going to do a love story. I'm going to do a movie. And of all of the people God could have chosen to partake in this movie, God chose you. Not the person beside you. God chose you to be part of the greatest love story ever. Pastor, how do you know that? Look at what the Bible says. In Jeremiah chapter number 1 and verse 5, God says, Before I formed you in the womb. What does that mean? Before you were even conceived in your mother's womb. I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God says, I had a movie in my mind. And I, as the main character, as the protagonist, as the director, as the filmer, as the producer, I had one person in mind, and that person I had in mind was you. And I had you in mind before you were born, before your mother met your father, I thought of you. Before your father kicked it to your mother, boy, first set of flowers, before that even happened, I knew you. He says, I knew you. The word knew there, the word to know, means I had a relationship with you before 
I made you. Now, how can you have a relationship with someone who doesn't exist? How can you have a relationship with someone who doesn't exist? He says, I knew you. And so that makes me ask this question. Why me? Why did Jesus, why did God choose me? Why did God choose you? What's so special about What's so special about me that God said, of anybody I could have chosen in the world, I'm going to choose not the person beside you. I'm going to choose you. And he chose us. But you have to understand what I'm trying to say because he chose us, yet we were made out of the dust and the dirt of the earth. And, the, and so I asked myself, God, God, what was it that you saw in the dust? What did God see in the dust? Now understand that for many of us, for many of us, the dust is the lowest form of substance. As a matter of fact, some of us, when we're, we're you know, when we're in the house, we don't like to be without our sandals. In Spanish, we call it chancletas. We don't like to be without chancletas because we don't want to get dirt on our feet. Some of y'all, when, when you guys go to the beach, you don't want to go in the sand because you don't want to get sand in your feet, right, right? Because for us, walking barefoot is almost like, I know, I don't want, I just took a bath. I, I don't want to, I don't want to mess up myself. But you know what's weird about all of this? What's weird is that we don't like to walk on dirt yet. We were all created from it. We were all created from the dirt. The thing that repulses some of us is the very thing we are created from from the dirt of the earth. And, 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 and from that form, God saw us. And so the question is, what did you see in the dust? What did you see in the dust that made you breathe life into us? You formed us with sees it with high value. The only ones who could really understand God from this perspective is a farmer. When a farmer sees dirt, he doesn't see it the way we see it. When we see dirt, I, I, I fall. I, I. When a farmer sees dirt, he sees potential. For a farmer, dirt is one of the greatest substances ever. And here's what's crazy. God placed in this dirt, in this dust, God said, I real. and I have something in my heart, and I want to make a movie, and then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it out of something called dirt. And, 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 and to many people, this may not look nice, but because God is a farmer, and because God is about building and farming, God sees dirt different from the way we see dirt. And the Bible says that God formed man out of the dirt of the earth 
And he took holy hands, a perfect God, a holy God, a white, clean, perfect God, said, I'm going to take dirt, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my imprints in it. I'm going to put my hands in it. And then when I get ready to, 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 to make it look like me, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to blow my breath in it. Now, now, when the Bible says that God blew into Adam breath, which it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the earth or the ground. And that word dust is, in Hebrew, is mud. It's rubbish. It's dirt. And he breathed life. Now, understand, to breathe life is to breathe of himself because God is spirit. So he put of himself and he blew in the nostrils of man. So that means that God made out of dirt a, a, a structure of a man. And he put little holes in right there, right, on, right under his eyes. And he blew the breath of, God, of life in his nostrils. He said, and man became a living soul. The creator of the universe selected you to be part of the greatest love story. Not after you were made. After you were beautiful, while you were in dirt form, he said, I'm going to use you. And he formed you from the world he created for you. Now understand this, that this same dirt we see here in Genesis, we're going to see at Calvary. It's the same dirt. This dirt that we see here today in Genesis when God created Adam is the same dirt. Because Jesus was on a mountain made of dirt. And at that mountain, he died at Calvary. It's the same form. It's the same dirt. The dirt of Genesis is the dirt in, in the Gospels. And he says, he said, I'm going to put life into this. And I'm going to make it a living soul. And then the Bible says that he began to imprint. He began to put his image. He began to put his imprint on it. He began to squeeze the dirt into shape. He began to squeeze it. To understand what God is doing, you have to be a potter. A potter can take clay and mud that looks insignificant. But the potter, in order to turn that clay into a beautiful vase of ours, you know what he has to do? He has to squeeze it. He has to squeeze it. And it looks like he's abusing the clay. It looks like he's mistreating the clay. It looks like he's trampling on the clay. But he sees the potential. And not only does he see the potential, he knows that the clay has the strength to withhold and withstand the pressure of being squeezed by God. Now, I, I tell you that to tell you this, that you are not here by accident. You're not here by accident. And you might say, Pastor, my life I feel like it's squeezed in all of the areas of my life. In my marriage, my life is squeezed. In my personal life, my life is squeezed. In my relationships, I feel I'm squeezed. Everything is just going from bad to worse. And you might feel like the clay being squashed and being squeezed and being broken. But I want you to understand that we're all squeezed differently. But understand this, we all have been squeezed by God. If God is the one squeezing you, it's because he knows that there is something better in you. 
and all he is letting you know today is I'm not squeezing you to kill you I'm squeezing you so that the purpose I have in store for you can come to pass in your life the squeezing of life lets us know the kind of pot we will become and God squeezed us now here, here's the thing God is the only one that squeezes to give. You squeeze an orange, it, it, it releases. However, when God squeezed us, he squeezed us to give us. God saw what he made in us. God swore what he squeezed in us. And at the end of the squeezing us in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, after he squeezed us and blew breath of life, he said, it is good. Just as well as God knew it was good, the enemy saw your beauty. And he was determined to distort your beauty as well. Listen to me. The enemy saw your beauty. And he made it his business to distort you. He made it his business to distort the beauty God has placed in you. And he was determined to abolish you from becoming who God had originally planned you to be. Why? Because of your purpose. It was because of your purpose that the enemy came to alienate you from your creator. Look what the Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 16 verse 5. The Bible says, no one looked at you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field. On the day you were born, you were despised. He was despised. And just like the Bible is talking about Israel, we as well were despised. Yet despised our disobedience and sin, although everybody despised us, God did not despise us. In spite of all the mistakes, and, and boy, many of the things that we're guilty of, and we know we're guilty of, we know we're wrong, and in spite of that, in spite of that, God could have despised us, yet he didn't. He did not distort us. Why? Because his potential in us was greater than the sin over us. His potential in you is greater than the sin that the enemy has placed over you. No one, the Bible says, looked at her with pity and compassion. Nobody. But God looked at you differently. He saw something of potential when everybody else saw a rejection. And here's what God saw in the dust. We sang in the song, what did you see in the dust? Here's what God saw in the dust. God saw potential. He saw potential. He saw potential. And so my next question is, God, if you, see, if you, saw, if you saw in the dust potential, then my next question is, what did you see in my eyes? What did you see? worth coming down to die Father for the orphan's light A Savior for the broken ones What did he see in your eyes? What did he see? You know what he saw? He saw your condition so hopelessness. 
saw you in the dust, he saw potential. But now when he saw in your eyes, he saw hopelessness. And he's like, but I didn't create him. I didn't create her to be hopeless. I created her. And I created him to live in the purpose. But this is what happens when the devil comes into play. He distorts our perspective of ourselves. And now this time around, God is saying, I can see in your eyes what everybody else can't see. And this is why the enemy is so after you, because he wants you to feel hopeless. And look what the Bible says. I continue reading Ezekiel. I'll read it again, verse 5. It says, no one looked at you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out unto the open field. For on the day you were born, you were despised. Verse 6 says, and then I passed. Everybody saw you discarded. Everybody saw you rejected. Everybody saw you broken and they did pity on you. But God said, but then I passed and I saw you. I saw you kicking in your blood. And as you lay there in your blood, I didn't condemn you. As you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. I said to you, live. So when God saw in our eyes, he saw hopelessness. God saw the very thing that the enemy used to cause you to kick in your blood. Kick in your blood is as, as you're dying. You know, when your, your last movements, when someone dies, they start kicking. This baby, this baby was dying in his blood, drowning in his blood, kicking, trying to grasp her air. And nobody had pity on her. And nobody had mercy on her. But the God who formed her and squeezed her, he said, I got a purpose. And I'm going to pass by. And I'm going to say, live to the glory of God. Listen to me, church. God knows what's inside of you. Because he's the one that put the purpose within you. God saw us alienated from sin. From God because of sin. So what did he do? What does God do? He becomes a father. We were alienated. To be alienated in the Bible is to almost become a bastard. To not have a spiritual father. To not have a father. But here's what God did. God became a father to the orphan. He became a father for the orphan sons. Perhaps you feel like you have no spiritual covering. Perhaps you feel like you feel like, like a child without a father. Perhaps you feel like, 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 like with a child without a mother and you're walking life like no one loves you. I'm here to remind you that the God that made you, he said, I'm only, not only did I make you, and not only I want you to be part of this thing called the greatest story ever told, but there is a purpose in you, and I am here to adopt you, and I'm here to embrace you, and I'm here to forgive you. So God became a father for the orphan. Look what Psalms chapter 68 and 5 says. It says that God is the father to the fatherless. He became a savior for the broken ones. Look what Jesus says in Luke chapter 19 verse 10. He says, for the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. To understand that context, to understand that verse, you got to read the context. The context is about this guy by the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a short guy who was a thief. He was a tax collector. He used to rob. And everybody hated Zacchaeus. Nobody liked Zacchaeus. 
Jesus one time is walking down and all of a sudden he sees that Zacchaeus is on top of a tree by the name of the sycamore tree and while everybody is focusing on Jesus Jesus is looking at the tree and he's seeing a man up there a man who was rejected a man who was ostracized, a man who was despised, a man who was drowning in his blood, a man who was kicking in his blood, and Jesus stops the crowd and focuses his attention on one man. And he said, Zacchaeus, come down for that tree because today I want to be in your house. Jesus was healing and Jesus was doing miracles, but while he was healing, he was seeking, he was seeking. He was seeking to save those that were lost. He was seeking to save those who were lost. He's been looking for you all of your life. And the fact that you're here today was God touched somebody's heart, to touch somebody's heart, to touch you heart, your heart, to bring you here today so that today God can tell you, I've been looking for you. I've been searching you. I want to remind you that it doesn't matter what you've done. What I did on the cross is greater, is better, is bigger than your pain. tells him come down from that tree so shortly after Jesus climbed the tree when he tells him to come down it's Papa you can't save yourself you don't qualify you don't have what it takes if you get off the cross and let me get on the cross Zacchaeus my sacrifice will change your life forever and I'm here to tell you friend God is not looking for you He's seeking to save. He's not looking for you to condemn you. He's looking for you to save you, to bring you back to your rightful place. Look what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. It says, God or Christ redeemed us. That word pay, that redemption, that, that banking word. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. your curse my curse he said God redeemed me God paid my ransom God paid the price I couldn't pay he paid it and here's how he did it becoming a curse becoming the very thing I couldn't pay myself out of for it is written cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole or a tree verse 14 says he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So that what? So that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. God came to save us. But to save us, we had to become a curse. Jesus did that. You know why? Because Jesus wanted you to know how much he loves you. He was willing to expose himself in public so that you can be drawn to him. Did you know that a, a death by crucifixion was one of the most horrific, embarrassing deaths ever? Worse than dying by the electrical chair or a lethal injection. To die a crucifixion death was, was shameful. First and foremost, they would put you in a public street where everybody would see you. On a public road where everybody would see you. They'll strip you naked. You know, in the movies, they show him with a little, a little, a little strap on. No, no, he, he was naked, completely naked. 
embarrassing. And people will walk by and spit at the, at the, at the person crucified at the cross. They will spit at him, mock at him, laugh at him, ridicule him, throw him with rocks. And Jesus hung up on that cross. The God who had a movie in mind, the God who had a plan to save the world, the God who had a loving relationship with humanity, when he saw you and he saw me, he said, I'll take the pain. I'll die the death. Let them crucify. I'll take the shame. That's why in John chapter 12, verse 32 and 33 says, When I, when I, when I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Friend, Jesus was lifted to die for us. Friend, Jesus was lifted so that you can see him. So that you can see him. So I ask you, can you see him? Do you see him on the cross? Do you see him hung, hanging on the cross? He was lifted so that you can see him. He was lifted unashamed. He was lifted rejected by everybody. So that today you can have an image of him being lifted up. He said, if I don't be lifted up, they won't come to me. So I'll take the shame. I'll take the embarrassment. So that you all can come to me. So the next the question is, what did you see in the dirt? The second question was, what did you see with my eyes? And the next question is, up there on the cross, what did you see from the cross? From this perspective, I see salvation. That's why on the cross he tells the Father, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. Forgive them. My sacrifice is greater than their rejection. Jesus saw salvation from the cross. That's why, my friend, because of our salvation, Jesus never questioned the cross. Jesus never questioned the cross. Jesus said, well, that die that way for all these people. No. The sacrifice of Christ was never an issue to discuss. He didn't question the cause. He said, if it's my life, I'll give my life. If I've got to be mocked, I'll be mocked. If i got to be bruised, I'll, whatever it takes, I'll do it. Here's why. Because the Bible says in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 11, the Bible says, I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus died to save us. And Paul reaffirms this in 1 Corinthians 15, 54, 55. 
he says, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed by victory. <laughs> and then he asks, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Jesus dying on the cross, he took the power of death. Jesus dying on the cross, he took the power of death. And that's why now when I look at the cross, I'm not afraid of it. Because at the cross, he destroyed his power to connect me back. That's why, that's why, listen, Jesus is the greatest ever. That's why Jesus is the greatest ever. That's why Jesus is the only thing you need. He's the greatest. No one did what Jesus did. The Apostle Paul in the Gospel of, in the Epistle of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 2, 5 through 11, look what he says. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Do you understand what that verse is saying? He could have taken advantage of the fact that he was God and not go through the cross. Rather, verse 7, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. That word is slave. Being made in human likeness just like the dirt he formed. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death on the cross. And as a result, the Bible says in verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus is exalted. Jesus is exalted. And this is why today we declare because of what Jesus did, there is no one greater. There is no one higher. There is no one like Jesus Christ. And we're going to declare that to the glory of God that there is no one.
But the last question is, what did you see from the cross? What did you see from the cross? And they saw salvation. For everyone and anyone who acknowledges that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so today we're here to tell you that that Jesus that died on the cross, he still has a plan. And you're still an actor and an actress in this great movie of love. But it starts simply by you accepting and acknowledging what Jesus did at the cross. I'll never forget the day hope was made available for me. It was an August 16th, Thursday night, 1989. I was living in New York City in the Bronx. And somebody invited me to a service under a tent. And I went there. And I heard a preacher preach to me the way I preach to you today. And then he said, who wants this Jesus that died for us? And I remember me raising my hand, August 16, 1989, 27, 28 years ago. And I said, I want Jesus. And since that moment, my friend, my life has never, ever been the same. I took a hold of hope. I took a hold of hope. And so my friend, hope is available to you and for you today. So I want you to listen to this part of this song and declare it for yourself and tell yourself, because of Calvary, there's hope for me. Because of Calvary, you. As a place of hope, our church is committed to reach our community. If you'd like more information about New Birth, visit our website at nbplaceofhope.com.